0: Good evening. I invite you to be taking out your Bibles to study along with us this evening as we are going to continue a series of lessons that we have been engaged in over the past few weeks involving the topic of Bible authority. And last week we began or considered something I believe that is very important when we think about Bible authority and that is the point That God communicates with us because he desires a relationship with us. And that we began to look at how we understand God's communication. And just as in any form of communication, God is to be understood as we communicate, as we understand some of the principles of communication. So those same principles apply. And so that is where we're going to be continuing to pick up in our study this evening about God's communication. And we want to be able to see how we discern that because there are going to be some elements in which are uh, they might seem a little particular, but I believe they are important for us, they are critical for us to understand. And the whole notion of Bible authority is important because God reigns as our King, as Isaiah the prophet would speak. In Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. You think about the fact that God reigns as our King. That implies authority. That He is the one who rules. He is the one who has power. He is the one who has authority. In which Jesus would claim that as the Son of God, who is exalted to the right hand of God, He would say that all authority had been given to Him in heaven and on earth. And you think about what... Paul would say in Philippians chapter 2 and in verse 9, again, something that implies authority. He says in verse 9, For this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Since Jesus is our King, since God is our King, our life should be centered about pleasing God and doing His will. And we have to be able to understand His will. And so we began to see last week in particular about how God communicates with us. That He either tells us what to do, He either shows us what we are to do, Or He gives us the necessary information so that we are able to draw the appropriate conclusions and to draw out the implications of which God expects of us. And those are very important for us to understand that when when we are talking about Bible authority, I think sometimes we have not done an appropriate enough job emphasizing this. But when we talk about Bible authority, when we understand Bible authority. What, the reason that we talk about it in the first place is because we want to emphasize that we have a love for God, that we are committed to following Him, that we love Him, and that we want to do what is right, and so we are intent on obeying Him. And so because we love God, we want to obey Him, and then we want to draw closer to God in our relationship with Him. And so whenever we, you factor in those three things, that should cause us to be attuned to God's communication and God's Word and how He has expressed things and what He has expressed and that we are going to take care to do what He says. Being aware of how God communicates is going to help us discern what we believe, how we are to live, how we are to worship, and how the, Lord, the, the Lord's church is to accomplish the work of the Lord. And there are going to be some things that, as mentioned over the past few weeks, that some of these things might be... Uh, we, we understand a lot of these things, and I hope we can bring some of these things to light, but we understand them just inherently because we communicate all of the time we usually do not explicitly say a lot of these things. But this is just generally how communication works. And so as we understand how communication works, just through our own interactions, I think we're going to see that these things are true spiritually as well. And so what we want us to to look at tonight is looking at how God communicates with us. He tells us to do things. He shows us how to do things, or he implies that we are to do things. And if there are other ways that we communicate, then I'm open to adding to this list. But I think we can at least say that these three things are always going to be at work in some fashion. At least one of these three things are going to be at work in, the, in this fashion. I'm sure Kyle is like me, as I mentioned last week. I'm going to pick on Kyle tonight. That Kyle is excited that whenever he can tell his boys to go out and mow the yard, he's going to tell them to go mow the yard. He's going to tell them and give them that expectation that you go do that. But he's probably first going to have to show them how to use that, that lawn mower. And then he's going to love the day whenever he can say, Boy, that, that grass sure is getting tall. And, you know, he's just going to expect, he's just going to let that hang for a minute and let his boys say, Oh, we need to go mow the yard. That's going to be the best day of your life, isn't it, Kyle? Maybe not, but it's going to be a pretty good day. We understand that's just how communication works. And so we see that this is something important for us to understand just implicitly. And as God has communicated to us, He has spoken to us, the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 1, In Hebrews chapter 1 and in verse 1, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And you continue on in Hebrews chapter 4 and in verse uh, verse fourteen, or verse twelve, rather. For the word of God is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That God, as He is communicating to us, He is speaking to us through His Word. He speaks to us in the way, same way that we communicate with each other through words. And so the same rules that would apply to our communication are going to also apply in how God communicates with us and how we begin to discern and understand these things. And so tonight we want us to look and, and just first of all look and understand that God's communication can be described in two very uh, two very different and distinct ways. One is where you have specific communication, where God might tell us to do something very explicitly, something very specifically. Another way that God commun- might communicate with us is more in general terms, in, in, in more general ways. We'll illustrate this with some things. I'm sure some of these things will be familiar with you, to you. that You will have heard some of these examples before. I hope that some of this is old old stuff that you're getting to be refamiliarized with but in the gospel of mark in mark chapter 16 in mark chapter 16 we see that jesus tells his apostles to go into all the world in verse in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, to go into all the world. He doesn't tell his apostles how they have to go. He doesn't specifically name that they are to go by boat or by train or by plane. They didn't have those things or automobile back then. But he he did not specify the way that they were to go. And so he did not limit any of the way that they might be able to distribute the gospel Throughout the world, he spoke in very general terms, which would allow us to travel by walking or going by boat, train, plane, or automobile. That's a funny movie from back in the 80s, I think. But you can also see that now, especially today in today's world, that you can also utilize other tools and mechanisms that can help distribute the gospel without even having to leave your home or your office that you can use FaceTime or Skype or Zoom or any of those kinds of things that might help share the Gospel. And all of those things are to be utilized in an effective way. because, And they're all allowed because Jesus just told us to go. He did not tell us how we were to go. Another example is in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6, and in verse 14, as God was intent on destroying the world with flood waters, he told Noah to build an ark. In Genesis chapter 6 and in verse 14, he said, Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. And this is an interesting example because while God told Noah to build an ark, In one sense, that's a a fairly general statement. God specifies how He was to go about building that ark. It was to be an ark made of gopher wood. He went through some of the size and the dimensions of the ark. In verse 14, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark and the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And so God gets specific on the instructions of the ark, doesn't he? Of what the dimensions and the details of the ark and how it was to be built. And yet, in one sense, there's still some general things that you can see that God does not mention here. You know, Noah was going to have to be able to use some kind of tool, wasn't he? Something probably like a hammer. <laughs> some kind of scaffolding or something so that he could get up. Some Something like a ladder, maybe. Maybe. God didn't mention any of those things here. And so even whenever God is specific about some things, He was also general enough in that any tool that could assist in the building of the ark in the correct way was allowable. And so I think you can qualify that as general communication as well, or general authority. And the thing about general communication and general commands, they must be obeyed, they must be kept. But the means by which they are accomplished are not specific to the command itself. That there are liberties that we have that help us fulfill the commands. Such as meeting on the Lord's Day. Meeting on the Lord's Day is a command that we see in the New Testament or it's something that we have authority from in the New Testament because we see by example that the early Christians, the early church they met on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. Now, we can choose how many times we might want to meet. We, can, we choose to meet twice. Some churches might only meet once. We can meet half a dozen times if we wanted to on the Lord's Day. Do we meet in the mornings? Do we meet in the evenings? Do we meet in the afternoons? Those are general things that we are given options for. And so general communication there is not the specifics involved by how we must accomplish it. General communication and commands, they have to be obeyed, but the means by which they are accomplished are not specifically given. I'm going to go back just to this mic, if you will. Thanks, Josh. And so general communication and those commands that would fall under that umbrella that they are means by which uh, they must be kept, but the means by which they are accomplished are not specifically given. Now, it's different when it comes to specific communication. Because specific communication, specific authority, tells us exactly how things have to be done. It places more limits on it. In the same example in Genesis chapter 6 and in verse 14, that God told Noah to make an ark of gopher wood. He told him the kind of ark and the wood that was to be used he told him the exact dimensions of the ark that were to be used and so God told Noah how he expected that ark to be built and it limited the kind of wood and the kind of other dimensions or the other kinds of shapes of that boat that Noah was to build Another thing that I believe you can see is very specific in the pages of the New Testament in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 19, the Apostle Paul would write to the church at Ephesus telling them to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Nearly the same thing is stated in Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 16 in the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, you've probably engaged in a conversation with with some of your denominational friends that where they might go to a church that uses instrumental music in their worship assembly. And maybe you maybe they find out that you're a member of the Church of Christ and they'll say, oh, you're that group that they don't use music in worship. And whenever I hear someone say that, I I try to correct them gently and kindly, but I tell them, no, we do have music in worship. We just have a very specific kind of music in worship. That we have singing, we have vocal music, a cappella music, that is singing without the use of accompaniment. Because whenever I was in college, I started out, I didn't finish this track, I I switched gears, but I started out as a music major, and I was a trombone player. And I know I I can have some trombone support back there from Jeremy, uh, but I also had been in choir as well, and I chose to go with the instrumental route but i had to decide if i was going to be an instrumental music major or a vocal music major because those are two distinct types of and forms of music that are recognized in colleges in universities And so whenever Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19 and in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 that we are to sing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, he is specifying the kind of music that he expects Christians to have in their worship assembly. And that would exclude any other form of music. And that's something else that begins to be something that you have to consider. Now, there is a law of exclusion when we are talking about things that are explicit, when we are talking about things that are very specific. We are excluding everything else and this is something this is a principle and don't don't think Sean's making this up. This is something that we all understand. Just in our everyday life, and we'll illustrate that here in just a moment. But in Black's Law Dictionary, there's a Latin phrase that I'm not going to try to pronounce tonight, but it means the inclusion of one is the exclusion of another. That's what that phrase means. The inclusion of one is the exclusion of another. The certain designation of one person is an absolute exclusion of all others. Now this is in a law dictionary. And we can illustrate why that is in a law dictionary. Let's. <clears throat> I hope, Joe, I'm going to pick on you. If Joe has a will, he is designating every family member that he wants to have an inheritance to receive that inheritance. He doesn't have to list everyone who is not going to receive that inheritance. He doesn't have to say, Sean Cavender is not in this will. He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to. Because a will specifies those who receive the inheritance, not the ones who are not to receive it. And so the law of exclusion is at play here. The inclusion of Timothy and Sarah. I'm assuming you're going to be good to your kids and leave them, but that's up to you. So but the when you name them, that excludes anyone else. A deed to a property specifies the property that is owned. It does not list all the property that one does not own. It designates the owners, not everyone who does not own the property. Again, you see the law of exclusion is at play. Or maybe you go to the doctor and you get a prescription for a medicine. And that medicine specifies the medication that you are to receive, it doesn't list all the other medications that you are not to receive. Because the inclusion of one is excluding everything else. We understand it in all of those other facets of life. And yet when it comes to the Bible, especially with the instrumental music question, what do people say? Well, it doesn't say you can't use it. Guess what? God didn't have to, ex- to specifically say, no, you, thou shalt not use instruments of music in worship because He specified the kind of music that He wanted whenever He told us to sing. In the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 7, in our reading tonight. In Hebrews chapter 7, and in verse 12, a Hebrew writer is making an argument about Jesus as being our high priest, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he says in verse 12, For when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of law also for the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one has officiated at the altar and so the hebrew writer's point about jesus that he is our high priest that there would be something here at play that jesus he came from a different tribe the old law they it specified The only ones who were to serve at the altar and serve as priests were to be people from the tribe of Levi. But he says in verse 14, for it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. The law of exclusion was at play. Whenever Moses specified that priests were to come from the tribe of Levi, it excluded all of the other 11 tribes. He did not have to go and specifically state well, people from the tribe of Judah cannot serve as priests or people from the tribe of Asher cannot serve as priests. He didn't have to do that. Because whenever he ex- specifically and explicitly named the tribe of Levi, the law of exclusion was applied. Judah and only the tribe of Judah was permitted to do the work of priest. And that, of course, brings us to another important point in our discussion, and that is silence from God. There are times when studying the Bible, the Word of God, that it doesn't specifically address a question or an issue that we might be facing and struggling with at that time. And God's silence on matters has led people to assume that they can do whatever they want to do. Take, for instance, the fact that whenever people talk to you about instrumental music, they say, well, God didn't say we can't do it, so therefore we must be able to do it. That's usually how the logic goes. Or maybe people will say, well, the Bible doesn't say fellowship halls are wrong, so we can have a fellowship hall. When God has specified something that He wants to be done or things that are contrary to His will whenever He explicitly names those things, silence is not permission. It's not permissive at that point. In Ephesians 5 and verse 19 in Colossians 3 and verse 16, God specified singing to the exclusion of everything else and therefore adding instruments of music that would inherently change the nature of that law, it begins to be sinful. Therefore, we have to recognize the question of silence. The question of silence, it doesn't come up in matters of God's specific commands. The issue of silence comes up in matters pertaining to God's general communication. Like, could Noah use a hammer or not? Could Noah use scaffolding or not? God didn't say anything about it. So is it therefore allowable or not? That's what we have to determine. There may be things that we have or do that the Bible is silent about but things that are perfectly legitimate and authorized. God's silence, I would suggest, is silence. It is when God has not spoken about something in a specific way to address whatever situation we might be dealing with. Silence in and of itself does not grant permission, but silence in and of itself does not restrict necessarily either. Silence does not prohibit when God has given general authority and has not specified something that He wants to be done. That's critical. I want you to hear that again. Silence does not prohibit. It doesn't mean that something is sinful. When God has given us general authority, And that He has not specified something He wants to be done. Let's talk about that a little bit more this evening. There are things that we see in the Bible, or or things that we do today that we do not read about in the Bible. Church buildings, for instance. In fact, many times you see in the New Testament that churches met in homes. Other times they met in single rooms. You have the upper room that disciples would meet in and worship in and observe the Lord's Supper in. These examples do not restrict us to only meeting in homes or meeting on the second story of a, church, of a building. Or a baptistry. In the Bible, you, as far as I'm aware, you can only read of people being baptized in outdoor pools of water or in natural bodies of water, a river, a stream, or some kind of pond. But the only binding elements of baptism that I see that are essential would be water and the amount of it, that it has to be enough for an immersion. The same could be said about songbooks or... Communion trays and cups for the Lord's Supper, or a pitch pipe, or using the slideshow for our songs. We don't find anything specific about those elements in the Bible. But I would argue and contend that all of those things are, author- we have authority for all of those things because they help us and they aid us in our worship. They do not alter or change the command. God has given us liberty here to fulfill those things in which He has told us to worship on the first day of the week, for instance. That He has given that expectation and that He has shown us time and time again through examples that He expects us to worship on the first day of the week. He expects Christians to assemble. As we might see in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10 and in verse 25, the Hebrew writer says there on that occasion that we are to not forsake our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He tells us that we are to assemble together. He expects us to assemble together. A church building helps us in fulfilling that expectation that God has for his people. Or a baptistry, it helps us fulfill the command to baptize. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter told the people to repent and be baptized, that is a command that we have been given that we are are expected to obey if we are going to receive the forgiveness of our sins. Well, how do we do that? Where do we go? Those are questions that might come up that we have. I've heard of people being baptized in a hospital uh, bathtub. Or I've heard of people going out as they were fishing. They started talking about the Bible and the need to obey the gospel. And so they were bat- They baptized them right there in the river, the pond that they were at, or the lake. But then we also have a building in which we have a baptistry that allows us to immerse a person who believes and confess Jesus as the Christ and as the Son of God. Baptistry is authorized or pitch pipes that might help aid our singing that we are able to start on the same key and on the same note that the song is written in. They don't accompany our singing, but they help aid us in our singing so that we are able to all start at the same time and on the same note correctly. And so even though God is silent about these things none of them change or alter the command. They do not change or alter the command. And if God's silence is ever used to change or alter what He has told us, and we are abusing God's Word and we are acting without authority. Fellowship halls, for instance. Fellowship halls. Yes, God is silent about the use of a building that would be termed as a fellowship hall. But God has specifically given the church and assigned the church its work, and that church and the work of the church is spiritual in nature, not social and recreational. Or instrumental accompaniment with our singing that changes the nature of what God has told us to do. And so all of these things are important for us to recognize and appreciate. That silence is silence. And when God is silent about something, that He has not specified the way in which it is to be fulfilled. That there might be some room, some liberty that we have to use judgment about do we meet in a building, do we rent, do we own, do we buy, do we have land, do we have other things to help take care of those facilities. All those things would therefore be authorized and acceptable. Because they help help us, they don't change or alter the command. Now next week, just to give you a little bit of a preview, next week we are going to consider more about the issue of God's silence and the law of what I would call in terms the law of expediency. That is the law of liberties that we have, because expediencies they are going to help us in knowing how we are to fulfill God's commands, helping us discern the use of liberties and aids, or what sometimes people may go beyond and change God's Word. What I want us to recognize this evening is that God has communicated to us in a very clear way He has communicated to us His will and His desire. And He has specified some things. He has given us some general commands and examples that we are to follow. And we have to be able to discern those things. Just as whenever we might have a conversation about Something We have to be able to discern our own communication. And God's Word has been clearly written down for us so that we, we may come to understand what is written therein. And God has specified many of the things that He wants us to do and we must recognize His authority. One of the things that He has specified is that we need to if we are going to receive the forgiveness of our sins, we have to come to Him in baptism. In Acts chapter 10, in Acts the 10th chapter, as Peter was preaching to Cornelius and his household, he told him, as he was coming to the end of that sermon, he said in verse 47, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to stay on for a few days. We see that God specifically mentions here through Peter in his preaching that baptism is a part of the Gospel. And that is baptism in water. We must be baptized in water for the forgiveness of our sins. If you have never come to Christ to have obeyed the gospel, we would encourage you to do that. To come to Him. Be obedient to His command. Because our God reigns as King. He is our Master we must recognize His authority and His will for us as a church and as individuals. Tonight, if you have become a Christian, but you've not been living faithfully, we want you to come back to Him tonight, before it's eternally too late. We would encourage you to repent and pray for forgiveness. If we can help you in some way tonight, would you come as we stand and as we sing?